Well, if you have your Bibles, you can get those out. Turn with me to the book of Acts. It's our third week in chapter 2, so we're going to look at a few verses uh, at the end of of chapter 2. And to give you a a little bit of um, background, um, we're in a series looking at the book of Acts really for the entire year. It'll be broken up into a few different segments between the, the winter and the spring and then come back and finish it out uh, in the fall. And it, each segment will start off with the title True Church and then a description. And right now we're in the very first segment of the series and it's uh, exploring how the Spirit-filled body of Christ receives power. Now, one thing that I think it's important for us to remember um, is that the, the church, it wasn't born on the day of Pentecost. It entered into a new age on the day of Pentecost when God poured out his Holy Spirit, but you could say that the definition of a church is the people that God gathers around himself. And so if you think about the people of God as being the church, then that goes all the way back to when he called Abraham. And he made the covenant promise with Abraham, and he said, through you, uh, my word, my light, my grace, my mercy, all of those things will go out to all of the nations through you. So God really called this people to himself a long time ago, but now we are in this new age when God fulfilled his promise to pour out his spirit on all people. We are all tasked with um, sharing the love of Christ with other people, of serving and being witnesses and going and making disciples, doing all of those things that, that Jesus commanded. And so, over time, though, it, we, have kind of, we have kind of gone backwards in our understanding of church, or the definition of church has uh, morphed into something that I think isn't very healthy for us, and it's not biblical at all. So, when God called Abraham and gave him instructions that the church would be constantly going out, and all of the marching orders that I understand from Scripture, especially the words of Jesus when he says, uh, go and make disciples, remember that one? The, the church is always going. We are individually, God will have a moment with us and we come to a salvation that is very personal. But it is also something that, that, ent- that uh, kind of adopts us into the family of God. So we now become, we, we are saved collectively. And we have these marching orders that we are to take our salvation and move it out. It always goes beyond us. It's not one generation deep. You are saved so that you can go and make disciples. That, that's how it works. 
And so from the very beginning, God designed His people, God designed His church to be a movement, not a place. And if you look at the, the language, if you look at the words that the New Testament uses to describe church, um, one of the main words that the New Testament authors use is the Greek word ekklesia, which ekklesia is a Greek word that means an assembly or gathering of people. It focuses on the people. Also, um, you could say that an ecclesia is a gathering of people around a concept or an idea. So you could have a public ecclesia on, you know, whatever topic or form, or, uh, but in regards to the church, the, the church, in, uh, and it starts, I believe, in Acts chapter 5 is when we first see the word ecclesia. The first time that we see this group of early Christians be um, described as an ecclesia is in Acts chapter 5. So this is a group or an assembly, a gathering around Jesus. That's what's described, the people. Now over time, if you, it's kind of changed from this idea of movement to place, and I think our language has had something to do with that. The English word that we use, church, comes from a German word, and I don't know German. I had to look this up, but I had heard this before, so I don't know if I will say this right. Uh, I think the German word for church is Kirche. Kirche. And the German word Kirche means a place where religious services happen. Place. Ecclesia versus Kirche. Do, do you notice the difference in focus? The, the Greek word focuses on the people who are gathered around an idea. The German word Kirche is focusing on where you go to have religious services. So over time, our concept of church has has kind of gone from being this movement, this called-out body of Christ, this, this, these, these, this assembly of people who are, are gathering around the cause of Jesus, the mission of Jesus to go and make disciples has changed into this, well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to a place. And when we change our understanding of church from being a movement to being a place, then when I go to a place, I'm looking to be served. I'm looking to go somewhere so that I can get something. It's so subtle in our language that it's changed. Ecclesia to Kirke, or our, in our case, church, it, it's kind of morphed our understanding of what it means to be part of the church. If you think about church simply as a place, then you're going to look at it as any other place that you go for the goods and services that it provides to you. But when you imagine yourself, when the Holy Spirit fills you and transforms your imagination, then you start seeing yourself, you look around this room and you think, wow, this is my ecclesia. 
I am called into this, into this assembly so that we can, we are all here for a common cause. We are all here to, to you know, we're going to be fed and encouraged and we've praised the Lord, all of those things while we are here. But you know what? In just a few minutes when, when this service ends, the church doesn't close. The church goes with you wherever you go. You are the church. You could say amen to that. Maybe that scares you, and so you don't want to say amen, and, which is okay. That's what we're here to, to talk about a little bit today. Uh, in Acts 1 and 2, we learn that the early followers of Jesus, they were captured by the message, by the story of, of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is what propelled them to share the news with other people. Peter, in the passage that we read last week, he got up and he preached a sermon and 3,000 people became Christians that day. They believed and they were baptized. And then Luke immediately gives us a summary statement in Acts chapter 2 of what this uh, early group of Jesus' followers looked like. He describes this early fellowship of the believers and so if you have your Bibles, in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, I want to look specifically today at verses 42 to 47. Now, you probably in your Bible have a paragraph break between verse 41 and verse 42. And in the original Greek, in the original writing, there's no break between these two sections. Um, if you go back to verse 40, Peter says um, to this crowd that's gathered, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Okay, well, how do you do that, Peter? How do you, how do you look around at society and you can see the moral decline and you know, just kind of the bankruptcy that we feel these days? Similar things back then, each time and place, if you look into the secular world, you can see lots of places of moral bankruptcy and decline. And Peter tells this group, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Well, if you look at verse 37, he, he tells you how. Recognize and acknowledge Jesus as Lord, as Messiah. Verse 38, when you do this, you repent of your sins and you are baptized. And it doesn't stop with those two things. There's no break between verse 41 and verse 42. So you recognize Jesus as Messiah, you repent and are baptized, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, underline that one, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
those who were being saved. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, in my role as a pastor, uh, oftentimes I will find myself in conversations and when it comes to light that I'm a pastor, some people are a little, uh, I don't know how to interact with you now. If I'm going to um, other gatherings where there's other pastors and, and ministry leaders and uh, I'm often asked the question, how's your church doing? Uh, sometimes people will say, and they're just inquisitive, I know, hey, how big, how big is your church? And I say, it's growing every day. But I really, I don't, I don't like those kinds of questions. Because I'm not quite certain on how I should answer them. There, there's so many different ways that you can take that question. How's your church doing? Well, in relation to what? I know at the core of these questions, really people want me to just tell them how many people go here and how much money we raise. Things that are easily measurable. How's your church doing? Are you going in the right direction? How big is your church? Is it big or not so big? So I try and answer the question in a different sort of way. I come from, I have a deeply rooted belief that to grow a bigger church, you first have to grow bigger Christians. Now that's, that's not as appealing as growing a big church in a very quick way by putting on the best show in town. Growing a church by growing bigger Christians takes a lot more work. It's really difficult because it requires something of all of us. It requires a commitment to let Jesus work in our lives. One of the things we're supposed to do is become more fully devoted followers of Jesus each and every day. It's, it's not a quick thing. It's a lifelong process. But as we together grow into bigger Christians, that influence is going to spread. And as the influence spreads, more people will begin to ask questions and will be attracted. And you'll find yourselves witnessing and sharing and inviting people into the things and the fellowship that we have going on. And over time, the church expands. But to grow a bigger church, you know, we need to look in the mirror and say, am I growing bigger as a Christian, if you look at the Nazarene, the Church of the Nazarene denominational mission statement is to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. And I think that our text today tells us what that looks like for each and every one of us. It doesn't really matter what context you find yourself in. You could be, um, you could be 
a teacher, you could be a farmer, you could be a stay-at-home mom, you could be retired. The context there doesn't matter. Our text gives us some vital signs that we need to pay attention to, that we need to check for in ourselves personally and in our body collectively. We are the body of Christ, and if you're listening carefully, these vital signs are things that we should look for in our own lives. In chapter, in, in the text that we read, there's a, there's a, a, a grammatical shift. And if you humor me for just a few seconds, it makes a difference in how we understand this passage. When I have preached on this passage before, or teach on it, Sometimes there's a little bit of pushback that comes across as something like, well, this was the very first fellowship. This was a historical thing. It used a long time ago, and how, how relevant is it today, Pastor Dave? I mean, we read some really radical things in those few verses that maybe challenge us just in reading them, and sometimes we want to get out from under the pressure uh, that we feel from Scripture by saying, well, you know what, this, that, was, that was a description of what their, their fellowship looked like. Certainly it's, you know, we're a couple thousand years later, and so it, it's, not, it's not quite the same today. Probably looks a little bit different. Well, th- there's a grammatical shift that Luke employs here. And so far in Acts, he has been writing in what you would call the Greek aorist tense. But in this passage, he moves from the aorist tense to the imperfect tense. Well, you said, that's a nice lesson, Pastor Dave. Can you tell me what that means? Happily. The aorist tense refers to historical events, things that happened. The imperfect tense refers to things, to things that should continue happening. So I think the answer to our natural resistance, our natural pushback to this little summary statement about what this first fellowship of believers looked like, I think if we pay attention to the Greek, that, the Greek grammar that Luke uses, we recognize that he's saying this isn't just a historical thing for this body of believers back then. This is behavior that was instituted then and should continue happening. And there's no time limit on continue happening. Now, when we read through these verses, historically, the church has talked about four, four things in this passage, and, and they've been come to, known, uh, to be known as the four marks of the church. And I would argue that there are actually five 
that come to light here. And <clears throat> I put them in the category of vital signs. Any of you who have gone through my Welcome in Essentials class um, have heard some of what I'm about to say before because there are five things that I believe are the foundations of the mission of our church. There are five vital signs that I think are absolutely critically essential for us as a church and for the church as a whole. So for today, I'm, I'm calling them vital signs. You know what vital signs are, right? We, we all have them, well, most of us. Everybody, you know, can you check your pulse? Are you breathing? Every once in a while, I say, that would have been a good place for an amen. You know, I say that once in a while. That's checking for vital signs, folks. Um, so medically speaking, they're measurements of your health, right? There's your pulse rate, your temperature, your respiration rate, your blood pressure, and, and these indicate uh, the state of your essential body functions. Now, I'm a guy who, I like people watching. You like people watching? I'm not going to get sidetracked on telling you all of my people watching stories, because we'll just go to Walmart this afternoon, and <clears throat> you'll come up with plenty of stories on your own. But I walk around and I observe things. I observe people. Part of my responsibility is to check the vital signs of our church. Part of my responsibility is to check the vital signs of your spiritual development. You could say that I'm always looking for a pulse. I'm always listening for breath. It's, I see it as part of my calling, part of my responsibility, if you will. I really feel like I'm going to be held accountable to some degree for your spiritual health. That's a weighty thing when you think about it. I, I care about you a great deal. And I, I love you enough that I want to help all of us become more fully devoted followers of Jesus. Because when it comes to the time of the end, I, wanna, I want all of us to have been found faithful in all of these things. So this message, these vital signs that, that I want to share with you, sometimes, or it could be heard as a guilt trip. But I want, I want you to know that they come out of a spirit of love. Jesus had a conversation with a church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. He, uh, he had some words for that church and his accusation for that church was that they were apathetic, that they were lukewarm, that they, they just didn't care. They would go through some routines of their faith, but it really didn't mean anything. 
And, and there's a verse that oftentimes gets quoted in Christian circles, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You know that verse? A lot of times we co-opt that one and we use it in, a, in an evangelistic strategy and, and, we th- and we imagine that Jesus is knocking on the door of everybody's heart. And while that may be true, where the quote comes from, Jesus is knocking on the door of the church, the people of God, those gathered around the mission of Jesus. And he's knocking on their door saying, Hello, are you home? I've found you to be apathetic and not caring, haphazard about your faith, and I'm concerned about it. But if you open the door, I will come in. And that picture of Jesus coming in is one of of a restored relationship. So we we get to these vital signs. And here's, here's what I walk around looking for. You could write it down in five words if you want. Five words are learning, doing, being, celebrating, and sharing. Learning, doing, being, celebrating, and sharing. I'm convinced that these five things are one of the foundations of the gospel. Over and over in Scripture, these five things continually rear their head. And so I think when you continually see things in Scripture that we should make note of those, and, and we ought to pay attention to them. So this first one, learning. I, I wonder, are we telling and teaching each other the Word of God? In verse 42, two of our text. Luke says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Well, the apostles had the teaching directly from Jesus. And eventually this teaching got written down, and that's what we have in in our New Testament. Another part of the teaching of the apostles was the scriptures that that they had. This was a, a learning church. They were They were hungry for spiritual food, for spiritual nourishment. They looked forward to their next meal constantly. They wanted the calories of Scripture. They wanted to spend enough time in the text that they walked away thinking that they learned something. They they sought depth. Tweeting the sermons just wouldn't cut it for them. Sometimes we settle too much for, for little bits of information because we, we just want to consume a goldfish cracker of Scripture and call it good enough for a meal. And so we find a meme or we tweet something out or we post something nice on our social media site And those things aren't bad, but that's not depth. This was a learning church. They were eager to be under the teaching of the apostles. 
But it's not just it's not just book learning lessons. They learned about how to take what they were learning and apply it in very practical ways in their lives. It's an equal amount, an equal part of, of, of their learning process. And it, and it goes a little further yet. They, this was a learning church from top to bottom. So, you, so the people were hungry to be under the teaching of the apostles, but as we read all of these verses, we find that that some of this learning happened in the homes when they shared time and they broke bread together. And so every learner was also a teacher. Did, did you hear that? Every learner was also a teacher. Now that scares a lot of people because there's something that goes off in our minds sometimes that we we back away, we come up with the excuse, well, I don't know enough to be a teacher. It's kind of teach as you go. You're learning and you're teaching. So a helpful picture in my estimation, or at least one that helps me, is, is imagine a row of, imagine even just three people and they're holding hands. So if, if you are the person in the middle, imagine the person on one side over here is further along in their Christian journey as you are. Maybe they have a little more um, depth of knowledge of the Scripture and maybe a little bit more life experience as a, as a follower of Jesus. And so in one, in, on one hand, you're grasping theirs. And they are teaching you. But on this other hand, over here, you reach out and you grab the hand of somebody or multiple people who aren't quite as far along as you are. And, and you begin to take what you're learning from this person and apply it in your life and you're teaching it to this person over here. And you know what? They have a person that they're hanging on hands with and so on and so on and so on. This was a, ver this was a learning community, not just absorbing and sitting under teaching, but also being the teacher. And I am concerned that sometimes we think that other people should be our teacher. And so we absolve ourselves or we let ourselves out from under the responsibility of also being teachers. And so when we look around and we wonder, well, why, why don't we have people stepping into volunteer roles of helping teach, especially our young ones? Sunday school and kids' church. Shouldn't we as the body, a learning body, be looking for opportunities to lead core groups and, and, and teach our peers, but also to step into roles where we care for the spiritual development of our kids. We should be overflowing with people who are saying, yeah, I'll do that because I'm getting this teaching here and I need to grab a hand over here. Your neighbors, the people that you go to school with, the people that you work with, who you're sharing your faith with, you're getting teaching and you're learning and, and, and figuring out how to apply that and you're sharing that with them over here and, and you're grabbing them by the hand and you're teaching them as you go. That's how the church works. 
we strive to be spiritually connected with one another so that we can grow together as disciples and make more of them along the journey. Well, the second thing is doing. Verse 44, Luke says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Wait, what? What did he say? That's a, that's a radical idea. Some people have incorrectly labeled that as communism. Because there's, you have to scratch underneath the surface of what Luke was saying they were doing. Everybody in the church, everybody in this fellowship of believers didn't sell everything they owned and start one joint bank account and live on a commune together. And then just divvy it out as people had need. If you, if you paid attention, they met in each other's homes, so there was still property ownership. But how many of you, if you opened up your garage, had a few spare things that you probably haven't used in a while? How many of you have surplus of things that are no longer useful in your life? closet full of kids' clothes and you don't have kids in the home anymore. Toys, games, all of those sorts of things. What Luke is referring to is that people looked around for excess stuff that they had and because of the joy that they found in the fellowship of this group of believers, they found more joy in being able to help and to give away some things than they found in actually hanging on to them. That's a radical thing, I know. In verse 46, though, we're told that they did these things with glad and generous hearts. It implies that they were joyful and satisfied. They, they gave away their stuff and were happy about it because they had found something better than money. They had found something better than the accumulation of their possessions. These early believers, they found more joy in sharing with each other than they did in the possessing of that stuff. And lots of people can't be generous because they really worship the things that they're supposed to be given away. See, we seek to be spirit-gifted servants looking to meet specific human need that's all around us, not only in our fellowship, but also in, in our community. And so we ought to be a place where we are motivating one another to acts of love and good works. So I ask the question 
often. To what degree are we willing to serve others in a way that lays aside our own personal comfort so that we can radically serve and share with one another? It's a hard question. And the understanding that we have to come to uh, with this one is that everyone who is called into this fellowship of believers are both givers and receivers. There's no takers only in this community. When you enter in, you now begin to look out for the benefit of those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes you will be the giver, sometimes you will be the receiver. That's how life goes. We each have our own need, sometimes desperate needs, You may be going through a good season right now, but somebody else is struggling. And when they're going through a better season, it might be your time that you're under that storm cloud. When we get to the third thing, being, or if you prefer the word loving. Verse 42, Luke says, they were devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread. These people found a genuine love for one another and they shared their lives with one another. This wasn't just the kind of fellowship that greeted one another in the foyer of the church or the temple building and, hey, how's the weather today? Who do you think is going to win that? Is there a big game tonight, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it's time to start. And we kind of just rush by each other sometimes. The fellowship the being together that Luke is talking about goes so much deeper than that surfacey kind of conversation. This kind of fellowship is about sharing our joys and our burdens with one another. It's, it's looking forward to spending time with each other and not viewing our gathering together as a chore or an inconvenience. It's... It's wanting to be part of a fellowship enough that you would prioritize your life around being part of it. Sometimes I think we like the idea of community more than we like community itself. We like to talk about being a place where we want people to feel like they belong. We want, we want our fellowship to be a community, but we're a bit hesitant on going all in because it takes a lot of hard work. And we have grown up and we have been influenced by a very individualistic society. And when you put the when you put the mandate, I mean God God Himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, exists in a community. We are made in His image. Humans are made to be in community. We thrive best when we are with one another. But we have grown up in this individualistic age that now we are convinced that we can't really fully connect to a community because we need to leave our options open because something better may come along. There might be something more intriguing that happens 
And so I don't want to be so connected that I can't say, you know what, uh, i got to pass today because this other thing is just more exciting right now. We like to have our options open in this day and age, and so it, it, the, there's, a, there's a disconnect between the call to community and Scripture and what that might look like in our own culture that says, eh, it's nice, you can sort of associate with those people, but don't go all in because you need to make sure that you can have an, an easy out. And so I say that we purpose to be generous in our hospitality, in our fellowship. The word hospitality means that we are constantly making space ready for people who aren't here yet. We become a people of hospitality in, in our homes and we, we make a space ready so that other people can come in and we can enjoy fellowship and community with one another. So we are becoming a people who seek to spend more and more time with one another. I will never shut up about our core group ministry. Our core group ministry was, was designed specifically to help us check each other's vital, these five vital signs. The core group ministry of our church is the main mechanism that helps us instill these things in our lives. I can talk about them, I can talk about them for a long time, you know that. And I can teach you about them and what they're supposed to do, but until you experience the reality of it, until you experience the love and the fellowship and the prayer support, it won't, it won't connect with you. And so I would say, go, go all in with community. The fourth thing, celebrating or worshiping. Verse 42 says, they were devoted to prayer. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere, sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Did, did you notice that they met in both big groups and small groups? Wow. Maybe that's where it all started. <laughs> these, were, these were Jewish people for the most part at the very beginning and they didn't stop going to the temple. They went there to, to praise God. And the temple was the place in the community that had the biggest open areas for gathering. And so they would join one another there for public worship and praise of God, but didn't stop there. They spilled out of the temple into each other's homes for this new thing that Jesus had instilled called the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread together. And so this new form of Christian worship didn't start in the temple. They worshiped God in the temple and they, they practiced this new form of Christian worship called communion in each other's homes. Big corporate group for mutual encouragement. Smaller group for close personal fellowship and development. Both are acts of worship, are they not? And worship 
doesn't just happen between 10.30 and noon on Sunday morning. Worship is what happens with your life when you live it for the praise and glory of God. And you can do that in a big group like this, but you do it just as much when you meet with each other and you share the love of Christ with one another and you support each other. That is an act of worship. And we're called to, to do both, both big and, and small. And Luke doesn't forget to mention that prayer is a key part of all of this. Certainly we offer corporate public prayers in this environment. But with a group this big, it would be really difficult to get to each and every one of our concerns. And we all have them. See, they recognized that, and so they spilled out into each other's homes so that they could pray for each other's individual requests personally. They pray for the growth of the church. They pray for a boldness in sharing their witness with other people. They prayed for their needs. All of those things, Luke makes sure that we know that prayer is a key part of what they were doing. So we desire to be a people who worship God passionately in public and in private. So, are we a people who faithfully and regularly participate in the worship of our church? In the big gathering and in the smaller ones? And do we make something like this a priority? around which the other things in our life revolve? That's, that's really the question. And the fifth thing, sharing. Or witnessing, if you want to use that word. In verse 47, Luke carefully reminds us that the Lord added to their number daily daily, those who were being saved. See, Jesus kept growing his church. But Jesus grew his church because the people were faithful witnesses. They were faithful to do everything that he commanded in the way that he commanded it. And all of these vital signs come together so that we can share a witness with the world. All of these things come together so that you are growing bigger as a Christian. And as you grow bigger as a Christian, your influence widens, doesn't it? And when our influence widens, then we can be faithful to what Jesus says to make disciples. And Jesus promises that he will grow his church. He doesn't, ask, he doesn't, he doesn't put the responsibility of the results upon you. He takes ownership of the results. He only asks us to be faithful. So we want to be credible Christian witnesses to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors. Maybe a better way of saying it is we want to be credible Christian witnesses to people who have names. Take a few seconds as we continue to think about the names of some people in your circles of influence who don't know Jesus. 
I'm sure everybody, a few names popped into our minds instantly. Those are the people that we ought to be praying for and looking for opportunities to be witness to Jesus to them. So I ask, are we sharing what we have found in Jesus? Paul, he, um, Paul's an in-your-face guy, right? Kind of bold. Well, Paul makes no secret about any of this. In Romans 1, he, he uses some language that'll get your attention. He says that every Christian is obligated. In fact, he says every Christian owes the gospel of Jesus to people who don't know it yet. And the language that he, he uses, financial language, and so if you take out a loan for money, you are obligated to repay it, right? You have to pay down the loan, the mortgage on your house. Paul uses that similar terminology. He says that Christians have a debt to people who don't know the gospel of Jesus yet. And we ought to be about the business of paying down that debt and sharing our faith with other people. It's that important. Maybe one of the key words in all of this is that Luke says that the early followers were devoted to these things. They, they put forth a lot of hard work and effort. Um, the, the Greek word that he uses there means to adhere to something firmly, to be steadfastly attentive, uh, to continue all the time, not some of the time, to be relentless, to persevere, to not grow faint. Being devoted implies work and accountability. And sometimes we maybe shy away from those two things. Because when they come up, sometimes it means we're a little uncomfortable. And that's okay. Luke tells us that in their being devoted followers, that their allegiance to the church was not a convenience to them, but it was really a commitment that they made, a matter of ultimate concern. They made it their priority, and they, they sought God on a regular basis, and they didn't really worry about how much time the praying took or the meeting took, and they expected God through the Holy Spirit to work wonders in and among them, and they, they met the needs of those outside the walls of the church too, even when it cost them personally. They persevered. They devoted themselves to all of these things, and they, they gave themselves to these things in response to the message of the gospel and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan recently wrote that we struggle with these things because... In his words, in our impatient culture, we want to experience biblical awe without biblical devotion. And I, I agree with him on that statement. We want biblical awe without the biblical devotion. I think 
I think the core, when, when we're taking the vital signs, our, our own, when we take the vital signs of our church, any dysfunction that we might find in, in our life together or in our lives individually boils down to a lack of devotion. It boils down to the charge that Jesus had against the church in Laodicea that they were just apathetic and unconcerned. Ah, ho-hum. I want to come in and I want to restore that relationship if only, if only you'd open the door to me. Well, we're coming towards the end of our time together. And I realize that while these things, they're, everything that I've said, they're, they're not um, optional parts of our faith. They're all essentials. Uh, my, my prayer is that we would begin, for some of us begin, for some of us continue, for some of us to re-up in going all in on these things. But I also know that it's really easy to disconnect and become isolated. Because sometimes when it gets difficult, you know, we just take a few steps back and, you know, I'm going to, I got to let some things go for a while. I, I need to get my life right. I, I'm just not in the right place to, to, to go all in in this connection. And so we take a few steps back and, and whenever we do that, it begins to, to isolate us from, from the group. And when you, when you detach and you're isolated, it's so much easier to stumble because the community really gives you a lot of strength and support. And when you don't have the strength of the community, it's so easy to be swayed by the world. Oh, this one time, it just won't matter. And pretty soon you find yourself lost. We have spent some time down in the, the redwood forest huge trees. If you've never been to the Redwoods, I would suggest going. It was interesting to learn about the structure of those trees. You would think that trees that are massive, tall, would have roots that go way down deep into the ground so that they could stand the breeze and the sway Redwood trees don't have deep roots. Redwood trees have rather shallow roots, but they go wide. And you find redwood trees in community. You find redwood trees in their communities, they're called groves. And they grow near each other, and their roots go out in such a way that they become tangled up with the other redwood trees in the grove. And so when the storms come, when the winds come barreling in and threaten to tip them over, they find strength because they are entangled with the roots of the tree that's next to them and they won't go down. Body of the Christ is the same way. When we even knowing that it's messy, when we get entangled with each other in community, our support is so much stronger. That when life threatens to take you down, we won't let you go down. 
because we're entangled with one another and we go through life together and we share our joys and we share our burdens with one another. These are the things that I walk around looking for. These are the vital signs of life that I'm trying to sense in your life, in my life, in the life of our congregation. And I know, I know it's hard work, but I want to remind you that it's all powered by the Holy Spirit of God himself. He pours out his spirit upon us and into us. He gives us the power to do all of these wonderful things. Before the Holy Spirit, there were 120 or so disciples and they were huddled and they were frightened and they, were, they weren't doing anything. They were just gathered. They didn't know what to do next, even though Jesus had given them some instructions. And after the Holy Spirit, when God blew his fresh new life breath of fresh air and Holy Spirit into their life, Peter got up and preached a message and 3,000 were added that day. It wasn't anything that they did on their own power, but totally through the power of God. And I have faith that this local body can do the very same thing. Certainly not on our own, but through the power of God in us. So let's look for reasons to engage more deeply with one another so that we can come close to fulfilling what the author of Hebrews says. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The people of God said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in prayer.